Hello, and welcome to Basketball with Glasses, a show by and for college basketball nerds. I'm your host, Bryson Harvey, and joining me as he has through the entirety of the college basketball season, Luke Smith. Hey, Luke. Hey, Bryson. Yeah, the tournament's over. March it's, is over. It, yes. All things, all facts, all facts. Um, so we're recording this April 6th. Um, the Wednesday after the tournament, um, we had scheduling conflicts that prevented us from recording after the final four was set. Um, but we do have a winner and that winner winner. is not Duke, (laughs) not Duke. Duke Duke is not the all we care about. It's all, it's all, it's all that matters. It's all that that really matters. Um, and the SEC just matters more. Well, everywhere else, it just matters that Duke doesn't win. That's um, exactly right. Uh, but no, our winner is Kansas, that other plucky upstart team that, you know, has no basketball yeah. tradition. Oh, wait, they do. Um, but they beat that other plucky eight seed, uh, that North Carolina team. Um, no, they're, they're oh, yeah. blue blood too. Yeah. So yeah, I could see, um, I could see that North Carolina program, you know, they seem like they're on the up and up. They, we might be hearing from them in the future. Yes, and if you look at any of the uh, not-too-early top 25s, it is too early. They're just lying to you. It's so Um, early. It's so so, early. So, early. Um, But anyway, that's sort of just kind of where um, all that falls. So anyway, looking through all of this, um, Kansas, they did it. They did it. Their worst loss was in November against Dayton by one on a neutral floor. Um, their next worst loss was against the 26th best Ken Palm team, TCU, at TCU on March 1st, and they did not lose again, which is well, pretty they good. Had a, they had a pretty humiliating loss in February, or was it January? Oh, yes. Against, I, I, the whole time I was watching that, I know that it's been said a lot, the whole time I was watching that team, that that game, I was thinking, okay, Kentucky beat both these teams by a combined forty-seven points, and yeah. it was it was painful. Not gonna not gonna lie, it was painful. I watched Armando Baycott do what Oscar Shibwe did all season. Although um, I I gotta say, much less efficiently. Um, I, I just quickly to look at the numbers from the championship game. Baycott went three of 13 from the field um, and he's not really shooting jumpers. So, um, you know, McCormick definitely ruined his day uh, defensively. Um, He did hit nine of 13 from the free throw line, um, but he kept the minute because he rebounded the ball. He had 15. So he had 15 and 15, which is more or less what Oscar did. And I will say, I am also sad to see Oscar Shibway, um, not breaking David Robinson David Robinson's record because he just should have should should have um, he just needed his team to win a few more games yeah um, so well he got unanimous national play of the year and then fingers crossed he'll be back next year yes um, lots of fingers crossed but since UK lost two weeks ago we won't talk about them too much uh, so do you know Bryson do you have um, there are two guys I was thinking of before the tournament started that like pick Kansas to win. Do you remember who those two guys were? No. <laughs> uh, 
I think they were us. I, I think, think it was they us. Were. I think it was us. Was it us? I believe it was us. Yes. Hmm. Well, they were definitely on the short list at the very minimum. Yeah. Um, they met all of Luke Smith's trademarked criteria for a national champion. Um, they did. And, and it, you know, it's not random. It's not a coincidence. It's just facts. I was watching that game and they were down by 16 and I was like, okay, so either Kansas makes a comeback or we get another outlier champion like 2014 UConn because that's what North Carolina would have been. They would have been even bigger, a bigger outlier because I don't even think they were top 25 Kempom going into the tournament. They um, Going into the tournament, they were, I believe, 30th. Yeah, I think um, you're right. They were 30th going in. Um, their defense was 35th, so I, I think they actually hit that mark. Um, but, well, no, they were worse than that. They had yeah, worse it, than it that. Yeah, it was worse. I think their offense was like 19th or something, 18th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, their defense was not great. Yeah, no, not, not super fantastic. Um, I'm actually pulling it up right here. And their defense was actually 64th. Their offense was 26th. So they would have been an outlier on those counts, not to mention Hubert Davis. Um, the, which, okay, can, can I go into a little bit on Hubert Davis? Do it. The Let's media it. loves him. Good guy. Great interview. You know, inspiring quote giver. Um, the dude didn't draw up any place at all. Mm. I, I yeah. mean, you know, they show those huddles like it's their job, like it's their only job. And so you do kind of get to see how they in- interact and that you can't really get much out of it other than the fact that there was some other coach in the middle of the uh, North Carolina's huddle. Um, the reason I noticed he's white, um, yep. Hugh Davis, black, um, and just not in like Hubert's kind of on the outside going rah, rah, let's go guys, which is his job. I understand. Mm. But at the end of the day, Let's be honest. We you, you kind of want your head coach to be at least a little bit of a tactician. Um, now maybe he can yeah, recruit I don't, the best I don't know what people like. in the world to North Carolina, but I I, I just got to say Hubert Davis. Um, a lot of plaudits thrown his way to kind of salvaging this season. Um, here's what happened when they got to the tournament. They just played their five best players, and that's it. Yep. Yep. And Puff, Puff Johnson basically got there. But if you just shorten the rotation and you just play your five best players, they can generally make it through a 40-minute game with TV timeouts, and they can be okay. They're, they're like 21 years old. They'll, they'll be fine. You know, They'll be fine. They're, they're not 35-year-old NBA players. Right. And so I just kind of think that's where it was because um, you know, I, was, I wanted to look at the rotation for North Carolina when they beat Duke in Durham for the last game of the season, which was a big game um, because they won by like 13 points and they just played five guys. Um, There were four other guys that got in the game for under five minutes each, but it was a five man rotation. So, I mean, once they figured out, Hey, we can only play our best five and those are the only five we have that kind of worked out for Hubert Davis. Uh, Again, 
you know, maybe he's good at all the other stuff and hopefully he is for North Carolina's sake, but it just worries me when I see my head coach in the national championship, just going rah, rah and not even giving input. It looked like on what play was being drawn up. Well, and we saw real time the difficulty of having a five man rotation. And that is when all of them turned their ankles within a 48 hour period, basically. Uh Yes. Um, well, you had it was within like a thirty a thirty minute real time. I mean, um, Baycott period. was basically limping right after the tip, and mm-hmm. I guess he played through it. Caleb Love turned his ankle, which just apparently a turned ankle for Caleb Love makes him shoot bad shots. That's how it affects him. He just starts yeah. jacking up threes. Well, um, I, I think it honestly, to be honest, I think it does. And and the reason is he doesn't feel comfortable driving to the basket. So yeah. he's like, I'm just going to settle because I'm still going to shoot. Uh, so yeah. this is the By shot the way, that I feel comfortable getting to. Did you ever think in your mind, I, I, I was watching the game with my wife and, and th- you know, after Kansas just, I could not believe that guy walked out of bounds. He stepped on the line twice. And I was like, are you twice. kidding me? And, uh, you know, the North Carolina had the ball on their side of the court uh, with like three seconds to go, four seconds to go. And I was like, I know who's taking this shot. It's like, if, if Caleb Love touches the ball, he's shooting. The only yeah. way he doesn't shoot the ball is if he doesn't touch the ball. And that's exactly what happened. And it looked like they maybe Manic was trying to get open and um, slipped. But Caleb Love, when the replay, he never looked at anybody. <laughs> he was not passing that ball. There was no way no. he was passing that ball. And, uh, nope. Um, well, you know, a couple things also um, about those final sequences. Um, you you had mentioned the stepping out of bounds, and was that Remy Martin that did that, or Jalen Wilson? No, that was that was Jay, that was the little point guard. What's his name? Oh, Dewan Harris. Yeah, it was him, Junior. Yeah, um, yeah, he didn't play great, um, uh, but. To, to be honest, when it, you know, it turned there, right? And and North Carolina kind of came back, which was surprising. Um, the the fact that Huber Davis didn't call timeout like at all, like he went and he went totally Roy Williams and just said, yeah, you're going to play through this. Like it's, you know, I don't know, Holy Cross in November mm-hmm. um, and yeah. not the national championship. Um, that was kind of I, mind boggling. Th- there's another coach that does that. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Capillary <laughs> Cal. Yeah, Coach Cal. The, Cal. the coach I've watched for the past twelve years. He refuses to call out call timeouts at the end of games to set up plays. <laughs> yes, yes. So that is definitely part of um, his playbook as well. But the other the other big thing here is um, at the end of the game, I, you really wanted to see. I really want. I don't know about you. I really wanted to see a play drawn up for Brady Manick. Yeah, I did too. I thought that's what they would do as long. I thought, I thought Hubert Davis is going to have to design a play to get Manic open without Caleb Love touching the ball. Because I think if if they had had to do one of those full court passes down down to the other side of the court, um, you know, to inbounds the ball because the pressure was too much, like they do sometimes, and Caleb Love caught it at the opposite foul line, I'm pretty sure he would have shot it from there. Yeah. Um, and but, they all wanted yeah, to be a hero. I, they jacked all those threes with like 15 seconds. Left. Oh, yeah. That, that, that was, was awful. It's like, get a layup. <laughs> get a layup, guys. They'll probably foul you. Um, but it, just get yeah. a good shot. Get a good look. Especially but, when they had two timeouts, I think, at that mm-hmm. point. But, you know, I thought Kansas played awesome in the second half. It didn't surprise me that they came out 
playing great. I still thought no. that maybe, yeah, I thought that maybe the deficit was too big because it, I mean, at a certain point you, the deficit becomes like so big, even if you play awesome, you have to yeah. be, you know, 16, 20, 25 points better than the other team to even win by one. And, but they, they did it. And I didn't feel like North Carolina necessarily choked. I felt like it was just they had a small rotation. They kept twisting their ankles. They got outplayed. Just like Kansas was just better, which should have been expected. I mean, Kansas was like six in Kempom going into the tournament. They'd been good at offense all year. Uh, North Carolina barely made the tournament, honestly. So Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, all those things kind of came to bear. Um, and, and honestly, when Baycott rolled his ankle again, like, yeah, that with, was it. I guess a couple minutes left, it just, it just, it was seemed like 40 like he, seconds. It yeah. It was like 40 seconds left in the game. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, that's, that's kind of it. So, yeah. um, congratulations to Kansas. Um, they probably had the worst guard play in a national championship game that I've ever seen. Um, Rumi Martin, thank thank goodness. I mean, they talked about Mm -hmm. him as though he was the second coming because, you know, this great scorer from Arizona State, you know, he was going to lead them all year. Well, that didn't happen. But he showed up and had the highest offensive rating in the national championship game. Um, He scored 14 points on, I think, nine shots. which is great, uh, super he had, efficient. He hit some very important threes, some crazy threes in yes. that game. Yep. I mean, they don't get back in that game without Remy. Um, nope. Abaji just disappeared. I mean, I, I guess mm-hmm. he was putting a lot of effort on the defensive end, um, which yeah, I he think... Came back, yeah, he came yeah. back in the second half, but he that Kansas looked terrible in the first half. That was the Kansas team that can, I watched Kentucky beat by 18 and... and Earlier in the year. Right. They just kind of let some things snowball a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I noticed the most in the second half was they just, they, they got back to what they were good at, which was playing really good defense. Um, And their offense is always kind of going to kind of look like a rock fight. Um, But there, you know, Christian Brown had 12 rebounds. He's six, six. And yeah. he had 12 rebounds because he played he a, a really guard good second half that crashes the boards and that mattered. And he's got length defensively and that mattered. Mm-hmm. And um, he started hitting his layups. I think he missed like 27 layups in the first half. Roughly. I, I, I feel pretty confident that you, that you are correct, sir. So very, very interesting. Um, interesting game to watch. Um, but you know, I had seen Kansas do this almost every game um, that they play in. They, especially in the Big Twelve, they struggle, 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 bus, and then all of a sudden they just turn it on, and it's like, what even happened? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as an example, um, they played uh, West Virginia at West Virginia. Um, which I knew wasn't a good team. Um, and they, it was kind of close at halftime. Like it was a, let's see, I think it was 27 to 33. So like a two possession game. 
but they end up winning by 13. Um, mm-hmm. You look at the game against Texas, the last game of the season, you know, um, well, that one wasn't actually as good of an example. Let me, let me find the, the game that I'm thinking about um, because the, they just, they, they have these where they, it's like, maybe they're going to lose maybe. And then they end up not losing by and it. It doesn't even end up looking close at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, I, it's just, yeah. it's amazing the way that they play. Well, would it be fair to say that Kansas, this particular iteration of Kansas, is probably one of the worst national champions in recent memory as far as how good of a team they were? Yes, I would say that is true. I would say that one of the things um, that was so interesting um, is the lack of guard play. Now, we heard a ton about guard play. Um, It was like the sexy thing to talk about, I guess. Um, But they had an absolute lack of it. Um, So that kind of feeds into our trends that I wanted to look at here as we kind of continue the conversation. By the way, I found the game that I was thinking of. West Virginia at Kansas. It was 31 to 33. 33 at halftime Hmm. and Kansas ended up and Kansas was up by two Kansas ended up winning that game by 16. So Hmm. So they've been doing that all year. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a, it's a thing. All right. So anyway, um, which, which trend do you think will matter more and has mattered the most in the past five years from the five champions guard play or rebounding? Um, I'm going to say rebounding. Um, I know that Villanova's championship teams didn't crash the boards a lot, but I'd say they were pretty good on the defensive glass and they never turned the ball over. Um, Baylor, I remember watching that game last spring. They, they got every rebound off. I don't think, I don't think Gonzaga had zero rebounds that game. I think Baylor got all of them. (laughs) All of them. Yes. (laughs) And you know, uh, Virginia had what was his name? Diakite was that his name? Or am I thinking of something yeah. else? Mm-hmm. Diakite. Um, yeah, and I mean that was they had that kind of four out one big guy kind of thing that North Carolina had a little bit this year. So um, I'd say rebounding. I don't. I mean the guards are good, but it's shooting, shooting mm-hmm. and rebounding is what it seems like. Thinking back would be the biggest things to me. Yeah. So a couple things. Um, just in looking the last five years. So obviously McCormick is an elite rebounder fifth nationally in offensive rebounding and nationally ranked, you know, top 300 in defensive rebounding, which is really good. Baylor last year, Mark vital was 21st nationally in offensive rebounding rate. And Jonathan Chamwa Chachua uh, was 77th. Uh, an offensive rebound rate and defensively they were able to rebound really well as a team. Um, they were fifth nationally offensive in offensive rebounding. So that was kind of a big deal. Um, the year before that was Virginia. Uh, well, the year before the year before that, because of, mm-hmm. you know, pandemic. The last, tournament. The last yes. tournament before that. 
Right. Um, they had a couple, uh, Virginia had a couple of ranked players, Diakite leading the charge. They weren't as elite at that. Um, they were just kind of more efficient. I think offensively, Ty Jerome was maybe, and, and that's sort of where the guard play showed up, you know, mm-hmm. 32.6% uh, um, assist rate from Ty Jerome. And the reason why I'm looking at these key players is because as you get into the tournament, you're, your rotation shrinks. And so those guys who are really good at rebounding rebound more because they have more time. Um, uh, the, the year before that was Villanova. Um, and Villanova had, um, Amari Spellman as a freshman Mm -hmm. who just dominated the boards was top 100, uh, nationally in defensive rebounding. Um, and Eric Pascal, who was a pretty good rebounder in his own right, um, and as a team, uh, they weren't that great um, if you look at their overall numbers. But because Pascal and Spellman were really good, they had enough. But they also had really good guard play. So they had Jalen Brunson, of course, leading the charge there. The year before that was the North Carolina team, um, the last one that won it. Um, they and were they had all Ken- about offensive rebounding. All about it. They really were. They were number one in the country at it. Kennedy Meeks leading the charge. um, I don't even remember who their point guard was. um, Their point guard was Joel Berry, um, who was probably the worst. He is, at least if you're looking at season stats, he is the worst offensive, um, offensively ranked um, guard point guard or primary ball handler um, in this five-year stretch, except for whoever you want to put in charge of this offense uh, that Kansas had. Um, And so to me, you've got to have one or the other. If you have both, you're really good. Um, So it's just a trend that I saw. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it will ever factor in, but you've got to be a pretty good rebounding team in order to make things happen. Can I tell you a um, kind of like a half-baked uh, thing I was looking at before the tournament started? Of course. So um, one of the things I was looking at is that, because, you know, most of the years when I'm looking at the benchmarks, there's usually more than one team that meets the benchmarks. And usually if it's only one team that does it, then it's something's wrong. But uh, I was trying to figure out how to break ties between teams like this. You know, like as you're picking a bracket, it's kind of like throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. And it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. if I throw, if I pick all the teams that I hope do well, then maybe I'll get two of them right. And so trying to figure out, okay, well, if, if you have four and they're all in separate brackets, how do you figure out who wins the final four matchup? How do you make a choice that retroactively kind of seems like it would be a good choice? The most, most of the time. And what I learned was if you take like the region of the team, so like say um, 2006 Florida, and you add up the Kempom rank of the teams on their half of the bracket and then like the higher seeded teams on the other side of the bracket. So like the one seed, the four seed, the six, 11, the two or whatever. For In Florida's case, they were a three seed. And you add it up, the higher number, the higher number usually was the basically the team with the with the uh, 
weaker bracket was the one that did better. Basically, they were usually mm-hmm. the one that that succeeded. Obviously, that makes a ton of sense because if you have more difficult teams in your path, you have a bigger chance of losing. Um, Kansas probably did they play a seed above an eight other than Villanova? Um, they well played they played Providence, but does Providence count? Do they really count though? Um, I bet if you really. added up. I bet if you added up their Kimbon numbers, I bet it's like over two fifty. <laughs> so Oh I mean it's almost it, over two fifty with just their first two rounds. So but from the let's see, from the Providence through well, let's just go from the first round on. Um yeah. you know, you're looking at Creighton, Providence, sub 30, Miami yeah. Sub thirty, sub thirty. Yeah. None of those teams were top thirty. Correct. No. So Vill- no. Villanova was the only team they played that would have been a top thirty Ken Palm team, other than North Carolina at that point in time. Right. Yeah. So that's how you North get a Car- national champion like this. Yeah, and North Carolina almost flipped it because yes, they started with Marquette, which was below top thirty. But then you have Baylor, UCLA. Then you get St. Peter's, which is a gift. Um, yeah. At, for most at, people. For most people, yes. Um, not not others uh, and then duke yeah. um whom they'd already played three times this year so you know if you look at all of that you know they definitely had a tougher road but it it, it meant that they had to play harder to get there yeah definitely and you just you got all those it's hard to beat six good teams in a row you know, mm-hmm. and and North Carolina, they were an eight seed. It wasn't like they were playing Prairie View A and M. You know, they were playing Marquette, right? Um, so the the fact that they made it that far is pretty amazing. But also Kansas, just I mean, they played uh, what was, was Creighton a nine, mm-hmm. and then you got a four, and then you got a ten, and then you got a two with who's arguably best player tore his Achilles in the last minute of the Elite Eight. And then you got an eight. I mean, that's, I bet, I can't think of a, te- a team that actually won the championship that played worse teams along the way. Yeah. I'd have to, you'd probably have to go back pretty far to find a team like that. Right. Um, because I think, I just don't know. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. That's a bracket. That's a bracketing gift. I mean, you look at Gonzaga. Uh, they had some tough teams in there. Like Memphis was their second round opponent. Uh, Georgia State was probably, I'm not saying you're the best of the 16 seeds is not saying a lot, but they definitely were. Um, right. And you got Memphis with all their pros. Mm-hmm. Then you got uh, Arkansas who took them out. So, yeah, it's tough. It's just luck. <laughs> it's just, it's it, luck of the draw. It's a lot of luck. All right. Well, one other trend slash conversation topic that I want to talk about briefly here is um, actually looking ahead, right? So we're looking at these ne- yeah. these two early top 25s, which always drive me crazy because a thousand things are going to change. And like half of them will say, yeah, Oscar Sheboy is coming back next year. Oh, no, ESPN's like, nah, we're going to assume he's not. So And he, they still um, have him in the top 10, which doesn't make any sense to me. But doesn't, I don't understand. So, but with all of that being said, and not looking at who's coming in, but which team will have out of the championship game 
will have more difficulty replacing um, Brady Manick and Leaky Black for North Carolina. Those are two big replacements. Or McCormick, Abaji, and Remy Martin for Kansas. Which one will be tougher to replace? Kansas's players. I think that... Um, can Leaky Black actually come back? Can he do a fifth year? Does he have anything else going on in his life that would keep him from doing that? I don't know. So I've looked at some different things, and some say he's gone. And I, I feel like I might have read that one said that they don't think he's going to opt back in, but I don't know. Well, anyway, I think Leaky Black is the kind of player you can replace. He was mm-hmm. probably the fifth option on the floor. Actually, he was definitely the fifth option on the floor. He was in most of the defender. You can find a guy who can defend and occasionally hit a three. Brady Manick, there's a lot of players like that. I mean, he was really good at what he did, but you just need to, it's a stretch four, basically. You can find one in the transfer portal, um, just like they did last year. Now, if it was Baycott or one of their guards, like RJ Davis or Caleb Love, then I'd be like, for sure. But Kansas is going to have to replace an All American. Um, McCormick had been there for 72 years. So, I mean, maybe his son can play center for them now. Um, I'm not sure. And Remy Martin was the difference in them winning a championship and not really. So, yeah. I, I think you could probably replace Remy a little easier than the other two. I mean, Agbaji is tremendous, and I know he just he disappeared a little bit in that game. But when he played, he, I mean, he could do things that nobody else could do. I think, I think that Kansas will be – I think that North Carolina should – at this point, be projected to be better next year than mm-hmm. Kansas. Well, that is currently the the mode of thinking on that. Um, I, you know, contrarian, you know, McCormick only saw the floor. He only played about 50% of Kansas's minutes. So mm-hmm. really, you only have to replace 20 minutes of production, a high-level production, a good rebounder. But if you just – I feel like you can find somebody with size. Um yeah, and also in that vein, McCormick wasn't always good. Um, no, my so lasting very bad. Him, my lasting impression of him was when Oscar Sheway just basically took the ball away from him, patted him on the head, and then dunked on his face. So, uh, I, I I agree with you. I think he's replaceable. Yes. Um... Abaji actually wasn't super efficient as an offensive player. I think that he showed flashes. Um, and maybe his highest highs were higher than most players. Um, but his lows were pretty low too. Like, and mm-hmm. I mean, he really did disappear for long stretches during the championship game. Yeah, um, but just as a comparison, Christian Brown was more efficient offensively on a similar number of possessions used um, as Abaji. So, you know, when you're looking at it from that perspective, if Christian Brown can can kind of pr- provide that, uh, maybe it's not the top shelf tier, you know, top tier kind of production. But I feel like you can find somebody to provide that level of offensive production. Um, they're yeah, just, they're they're gonna have to step up into a role, but I think that you can find that. They probably already have it on their bench. I feel like Kansas just churns out these Agbaji like, type players and Christian Brown type players. I feel like they just have them in waiting constantly. Yes, yes. it's like so it's, it's just it's, cogs in a machine almost. 
Yes. Well, um, let's. I, I kind of want to also point this out, and this leads into our next section um, as we look at the one and dones. So, um, Luke, how many one and dones are currently on um, either roster? Uh, for the Kentucky and Can- or Kansas and UNC? Yeah. That would be a big zero. It is a big zero. Um, how many were even in the final four? If you wanted to take a guess, um, who's the roster? Okay, <laughs> uh, five at least. Okay, well maybe four. Uh, Wendell Moore wasn't a wasn't a freshman. No, he's a, he was a junior. So you got Trevor Keels, Paolo, Bencaro, um, and AJ Griffin, and yep. and Mark Williams. Is he a Mark, he's a sophomore? Okay, wow, so even less than I thought then. So three. Um, and the team that Kansas totally destroyed was Villanova. Um, do they have one? They don't have any, uh, freshmen that really saw the floor. So, um, so is one and done overrated? Um, I think that we've had one and done long enough to be object have enough more than just the way we feel. We have evidence, Right. The right. faces of one and done. The only two programs who could really go out and get whatever pr- player they wanted was UK and Duke. Mm-hmm. You have one, two Hall of Famers, one who, you know, has always had his coaching acumen questioned fairly mm-hmm. in John Calipari, never been known as a strategic, you know, a stra- strategist. Strategist, you coach, you yeah, I found it. Um, <laughs> you have Coach K who you know, won five, four titles before he tried one and done. So you can't, you can't, um, you know, negate his coaching ability. So, you know, two different types of coaches. One title each. Yeah. Since they've been, which is good. They were in it every, they they competed every year, right? Like Mm -hmm. there was never a year that went by where, well, except for 2020, 2021 where the teams were like, they have no shot. So you're in it, but you look at a team like Villanova, two titles themselves. You look at Kansas, who plays so similar to Kentucky. Like their their style is so similar to Kentucky. Watching that game, it's just like these, John Calipari and Bill Self coach like the same thing. Um. He's he's got two titles to his name, playing basically the same way for the entire time he's he's been at Kansas. Yeah. Um, North Carolina is the biggest example. North Carolina, to me, they they somehow got really good players to stay. Like they got, and and they have three titles, you know, under Roy Williams, and then they made the championship game this time without having to adjust to one and dones. So I think there's enough evidence to say that one and done is a good strategy to compete for final fours. But it's hard to bring it home with freshmen. Right. Uh, The last team to bring it home um, with freshmen, with a freshman, singular, with a a usage rate over 20%. Would you like to take a guess at the last champion with a one-and-donner? Major contributor, um, significant I'm contributor. Back, I'm going back for. I don't think. 
let's see. Was it Kansas in 08? Uh, a little sooner than that. Um, okay. The, the, it, it was... Well, I'm thinking... Uh, unfor- of course, it has to be after Kentucky, right? Yes. Okay. So... It wasn't. I'll give you more shot. It wasn't. It, so Duke. So I, yeah, I went way too. I went way too far back. I was thinking other than UK and Kentucky. Um, was it? It was. It was Villanova, right? Well, so so Villanova had Amari Spellman, who did jump, but he was not a. He was a role player. He was not a significant contributor or major contributor. According to Ken Palm, he, he, his usage rate was under 20%. The last one north of 20 to win a championship was Jalil Okafor for 2015 Duke. Wow. So Man. it's been that long since I won and done, got it done in the, in the championship, which I just found to be an interesting yeah. um, sort of tidbit. Um, and that was, I feel like, peak one and done. Because that was peak it, one and done, and that was also that was peak one and done in the sense that it was all downhill from there. One and done. I, I think there's an argument to be made that Cal did it better than K, because yeah. um, Cal has success with all of his one and done teams. K right. went. So if you start with Kyrie, um, which I think is fair, but he he would have definitely been considered a high impact one and done. You got Sweet 16, first round mm-hmm. exit as a two seed, Elite Eight, first round exit as a three seed, national championship, Sweet 16, second round, uh, I think Elite Eight after that, Elite Eight. So mm-hmm. one Final Four, one championship. So this was only his second Final Four during the one and done. Cal had four Final Fours in five years. That's um, pretty good. The same thing. And you could argue that K taking the players that Cal used to get is the reason that Cal hasn't had a Final Four since then. Now, I don't know if he would have another championship. Say that Cal got Paolo Banquero or say that Cal got Zion Williamson. Um, that Cal had proven that he can make a Final Four with players like that. You know, his, the talent roster, the talent at Kentucky compared to 2010 to 2015 has been a, definitely a step down since 2015 um but yeah so i would say that as a fan i would want my team to follow more of like a north carolina villanova model um or kansas think, model or kansas um virginia yeah, even, yeah. I'll, you know, and yeah well here, here's why i really like it the way kansas built, builds its teams um they usually bring in some high level talent it's usually not good enough to actually play him. Self never plays him anyway. Um, he doesn't. Uh, but he's got a core of like two or three guys that have been around three or four years. Um, and they always seem to be there. Christian Brown was like one of those guys who's like, oh, he's a role player. What a nice little role player. Maybe he'll. And now he's like, you know, a core. What member year of is team. he? What year is he? Brown? He's been there since like 2015, it feels like. Um, he's a junior. Oh my gosh. He, he was there. Yes. He's, his first year was the pandemic season. Um, but yeah, he only played 45 minutes a, 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 um, a game. About 45% of the minutes a game uh, in his first year. And then last year as a starter and this year's a starter. Um, 
You know, so it's just one of those things where they always have these guys, but they complemented it with Remy Martin, who was a transfer, who actually Mm -hmm. did eventually see the floor. And maybe they realized, hey, we can't start him, but he's still going to be an important piece. And so to me, that's kind of what I think, you know, a good roster construction is, you know. Yeah, I think that the biggest problem with one and dones, it isn't because they're freshmen. I mean, Duke obviously had the most talent. They obviously had mm-hmm. the most talent, but you know, get, basketball is a team sport. You get better with the people you play with by playing with them. And the one and done teams having to reset their rosters every single year. I mean, a college season isn't that long, honestly. By the time they're getting used to each other, I mean, it's a one and done scenario. You know, they either they win or they don't, and you can't make any more mistakes once you get to March. So I think mm-hmm. that that just I think that that philosophy gives you the best players. But it also narrows your margin for error so much to where you're depending on people who just literally graduated high school less than twenty, less than twelve months before they, before March Madness. I think it's just dangerous. You know, it's like high risk, high reward. And I think at this point, um, we've seen that the 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 risk is really strong. You know, yeah, it's 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 rough. It's a very high risk, and it's one of those things that um, is interesting. So, again, 2015 Duke being the exception in the last seven years, um, every single champion had minutes continuity north of 50, 50, 55%. Yeah. So you, you need to bring back at least 55% of the minutes. And this year, because of the COVID year, the average was pretty high. But Kansas Kansas had 70% of their minutes returning. Last year, Baylor, 67% of their minutes returning. Um, and so, yeah. and the year before that was Virginia. They had 60% of their minutes returning. Um, 2018, 56% of the minutes returning for Villanova. Um, the year before that was North Carolina. They had 64 four percent of the minutes returning the last one was duke and they had um i want to say that they had 45 percent of their minutes returning um and you know but that was the last one that did it that way um that i'm sorry they had 38 percent of their minutes returning um in 2014 that was connecticut they had 70% of their minutes returning. You know, stick with 2014 for a minute. That was the closest. That was like the platonic ideal of the one and done because you had, I think Cal was starting four or five freshmen. You know, we had, we had some sophomores on on the bench that year, but um, they almost won the title. They didn't, you know, and maybe it was because they were playing a team that had been together for more than, you know, six months, three months, four months. So, uh, I mean, you had a bunch of freshmen there who didn't know how to handle that spotlight, uh, as finally as being the favorite to win in that entire tournament. So, I mean, they showed what talent can do. Talent can suck all season and turn it on in March. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they, they wound up falling short. Yeah. And we'll get this, get this. So we, we think of that team the next year right? That everyone's mm-hmm. coming back or the twins are coming back and, you know, 2015 is our year and they go undefeated, right? They're, they run the table. 
their minutes continuity was actually at 49.6. So they really didn't return, like, because Randall left, they replaced him with Towns. Trey Lyles came in. Yes, James Young left. Trey Lyles came in. Devin Booker was there. Um, And so, and and Euless was a freshman. So you had all of these new guys coming in. Um, So while it felt like it was the same team, it really wasn't the same team. Um, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of loud faces. You know, you got Willie Colley Stein, you had Poitras, um, you had the Harrison Twins. So, you know, the faces of your team were pretty familiar, but the bulk of your team was very, very different. Um, if you go back to, or if you go to this year's Kentucky team, um, their minutes continuity was one of the worst in the country. Um and it just Cal, it Cal kicked everybody out last year. <laughs> that team was terrible. He made it was terrible. Leave. It was terrible. Leave. But again, it's one of those things where they had a lot of talent. And you know, he yeah. he you know said we didn't get our guards. They weren't healthy, and and you know those things do happen. And that was definitely part of their downfall this year. But they were right in a close game, you know, under pressure. And I just feel like when you haven't played through those moments together as a team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody got a little bit tighter and everyone was more concerned about what role they're supposed to play. And it just felt like, you know, Hey, if they had played all the way through the whole season, because they didn't get the whole season together. If you, if they play the whole thing together, maybe they've got a better shot. Um, So I don't know. Yeah. Take that for I what mean, you will. I think they need to bring back if if UK and we're gonna focus on them as our as our um, lab experiment here. If they want to be good, if they want to be championship level, they need to return over fifty percent of their minutes from last year. Yeah, this is the best chance they've ever had of doing that too. So we'll see how it turns out. Can I say one like post mortem thing about Duke? Yes, please do. Okay, so I, if we had had a podcast, if we had done our podcast before the Final Four, I would not have said this on the podcast, even though I really, really would have wanted to because of the huge, I would have felt guilty for them winning if I had said this and it proved not to be true. Um, Duke's defense was what kept them, was like a benchmark they didn't make, right? If we were looking at right. benchmarks. They were 44th going in the tournament. Um, last year, Baylor was 44th going into the tournament. Um, the 2015 team that won the title at Duke was 37th. The, the 2009 team, North Carolina, that won the title was 37th. So we had these teams that had started out the tournament with poor defenses and had kind of ratcheted it up. All those teams finished in like the top 25 of defensive efficiency by the time the tournament was over. Um, I went back and I looked because I wanted to check that. See, once Duke made the Final Four, I was going to be like, okay, did they do this? They were still like four. They were good defense has actually gone down. They were like forty fifth or forty sixth going into that Carolina game. And so yeah. I went back and I looked at those defensive, those non non efficient defensive teams that had won the title. By the Final Four, Baylor was at like twenty fifth. Hmm. Um, all of those teams had made the top had made had passed 30th. They had gone above 30 on defensive efficiency by the time they made the final four. Duke was sitting at 45th to 46th. And so to me, 
I know everybody was saying that oh, Duke's going to win, and it's a foregone conclusion. Duke's got the best players; they're definitely going to win. And probably everybody was saying that as a reverse jinx, and thank God it worked. But mm-hmm. um, there was definitely red flags with Duke for the the, the one and done thing. Obviously, less see, players that haven't been there before, but their defense wasn't good, and it wasn't getting better. And so it they had a they would have been the worst defense adjusted deficient efficiency adjusted defensive efficiency team to ever win the title in the Kim Tom, well in the Kempom era if they had won. So I think that's saying something there. They would have finished ter- uh, like really low. So really, really low. Um well, and here here's the other thing, and I think we should be wary of any team that banks on the fact that they don't foul as the reason why, or the, the fact they don't give up many free throws as the reason why their defense is any good. That was their saving grace this year. But I would never, ever want the, the whistle to, to be my, my determining factor. Well, they were as, Duke. <laughs> Well, you would think that would be that would work in their favor, and maybe that's yeah. what skews this number is because they played in the ACC where they get all the calls. But um, you know, defensively, that was their best out of the four factors. That was their best. They they gave up nineteen percent of free throw to wow. field goal attempt wow. ratio, which is wow. The average is thirty in, in the North Carolina semifinal. The they the ratio was up to thirty seven. 37 and a half so it was 20 or it was 18 more 18 percent more a higher um so if you're giving up those kind of numbers in a four-point game um, because Mm -hmm. you couldn't stop a cold anywhere else and if you're going to give them three points at the free throw line too you aren't turning them over um you're allowing them to get offensive rebounds because that's kind of your mo on that as well and they you know i think north carolina had a 39 percent offensive rebound rate in that game um my goodness yeah so, that was probably so, baycott by himself right too and, and and that's just that's why they lost as good as they were offensively because offensively they were at they were scoring 1.12 points per um possession which is way above d1 average i mean that would be in the realm of if you're looking at adjusted efficiency um 1.12 i mean you're you're talking about top 25 offense so your 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 offense played pretty well it played within the range um of of a great team that's a really good offense that's a really really good good and you still lost yeah so um sometimes sometimes the refs just don't come through for you i guess yeah yep yep um anyway that's a good postmortem on duke um let's go ahead and wrap this up uh we've got uh one more segment here um just in general in your lifetime where do these and this is the the your lifetime that you remember watching. So you know, yeah, well, right. yes, technically I was alive for the UNLV games. You know, I I, I didn't watch it. I didn't. You I don't watch those. Huh? I, I I kind of was more of a you know ninety eight through the present kind of mm-hmm. Final Four guy. So that's sort of the the lens with which I'm looking at it. 
do any of the Final Four games that we saw, championship or semifinal, Final Four matchups, did any of them kind of stick out to you in any way this year that they would fit on some ranking scale? And which game would you say in your lifetime is the most memorable? Yeah. So I think that this Final Four was unique is because it had an incredible Final Four game and Duke UNC. Like that game was was a great. I don't think it topped last year's uh, Gonzaga UCLA game. Maybe because of the drama around it, people would probably rank it higher because it was K's last game. But I think just like the pure basketball game, it wasn't as good as that one. But it was close the entire time. It was it was played at a high level. It was great, and it was also followed by a really good national championship game, which mm-hmm. is really rare. Like I was going back in my head, and I was trying to think that the um, both the Kentucky Wisconsin games were very memorable and very good, uh, but the cha- the title games weren't. You know, right. Um, last year, that final four game is probably one of the best games I've ever watched, but the championship game was a total blowout. Um, and you go back and think about it. There's really not a whole lot of memorable final four games. It 2016, you had the championship game, which was super memorable, mm-hmm. but right. neither one of those, neither one of those semifinals were good at all. They were Oklahoma got beat by like 150 points. Um, so you, uh, maybe 2017 had good – they were close, but I don't know if they were good. I mean, Frank Martin was involved. So there were probably like 75,000 fouls in that game. So it's right. not like you want to go back and watch it. Um, even going back to the one – the Final Four I remember the most vividly or – the earliest Final Four I remember the most vividly was the Syracuse Final Four. And that championship game was great, but mm-hmm. the semifinals weren't. Mark, Dwayne Wade got smoked. Uh, you know, by Kansas and um, the Duke, the Duke, UN, the Duke UConn Final Four game in mm-hmm. 2004 was really good, but that was the only yeah. game that weekend that was good. Uh, nobody right. thought Georgia Tech was going to win that, <laughs> but so yeah, I mean, it's very rare. And I thought it was it's really interesting that we got two great Final Four games in back to back years because that almost never happens. Um, right, it doesn't. Um, I mean, you got you got two amazing like montage worthy twenty five years from now shots and two two back to back years. You had the Jalen Suggs half court heave, and you got the Caleb Love three from the Duke game, which mm-hmm. arguably the greatest shot in North Carolina basketball history. I mean, I know you've won a bunch of championships, but you just eliminated Coach K from college basketball with that shot. I think they should hang a banner. Obviously, honestly, yes. So, um, I, I, you know, I, that's, that was my feeling was like that Duke UNC because of all the context around the game and the fact that it was close. Um, I think that kind of is on the list, like the 2019, you know, championship overtime, Texas tech, you know, that's, it's good. Um, those Auburn, games though, both of those Virginia games, it was like, what's I hate watching happening? Virginia. I hate Virginia is terrible to watch. And they both had like the Auburn game had a really sketchy call at the end. Um, you know, and those don't make that. You can't compare that to a kid just hitting a gutsy three. That doesn't, it's not the same to watch a team win on free throws. You know, it's just, it's not as compelling. So yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Keep, you keep, keep, keep going. You were, you well, were all there. I interrupted you. No, you're good. Um, I think that, um, like you had mentioned earlier, the the Yukon 
the the Yukon games were really fun to watch. Um, you know, as much as it's painful, I know to go back and watch that Wisconsin win against Kentucky um, in 15 was just because it was, you were going up against Goliath. I mean, Kentucky was Goliath that year. Um, And so I know that hurts (laughs) to think about, but that game was really interesting. Um, Yeah. The year before that with uh, Aaron Harrison, basically last second three, Mm -hmm. you know, that was a really good one. I left out 2008. That was an incredible championship game, but the semifinals were notoriously like over within near the first five minutes so yeah billy and billy I, packer got fi- got fired because <laughs> because he admitted to the world that the kansas unc game sucked basically yeah yes well and did you mention the villanova north carolina game you did right i did yeah so because um, that was an excellent game but the semifinals around it were crap were crap so um just because of the stakes, because it was a national championship, and because of the shot that North yeah. Carolina made at the end. I mean, that's oh, probably yeah. the game. Um, yeah. But um, final, when you're looking at semifinals, to me, the one that sticks with me, and maybe it's just because I was like, it was one of those that I had to watch on my phone, in the dark, in my room, because... Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, it was the first, it was the first championship that I could watch on my phone. Um, I just, I remember watching it vividly and cause we were traveling cause we were, you know, it was spring break and, mm-hmm. um, you know, visiting family. And, and so that was my memory, um, of that game was just watching and I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that they fell. And so in that way, it was, it was probably the most intriguing game. It's the one I remember the most. Are you um, talking about the UK Wisconsin game? Yeah, UK Wisconsin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I I really did like this Duke UNC game t- as well. So mm-hmm. I think it was worth the wait. Um, you know, the season was long. You know, we had a lot of like, are they? You know, are they going to get shut down? Are they? You know, what's going to happen? But we we made it. We finished, and now I think the season is over. Am I, I think right? so. All right. It's on to checking to see who's going pro season as a UK yes. fan. That's the, my least favorite season of the year. Yeah, they need to shorten this uh, window. Um, it's the Bob worst. Huggins has railed against it for years, uh, and it, it's hard not to argue with the idea that, hey, we, we're just going to hold teams hostage, um, mm-hmm. and you don't know who you're going to root for. You don't know who you can go out and recruit. Um, well, yeah. You don't know how many scholarships you're going to have left. Especially with the transfer porter because portal because th- before it was just freshmen leaving people going pro and now it's just like somebody just feels like leaving they're gonna leave <laughs> at least well, they like, can leave ca- right well case in point here is Johnny Broom who is a mm-hmm. standout forward for Morehead State um, plays really well uh, all conference I believe um, he is testing the waters he's going into the NBA draft but he might come back. And if he comes yep. back, he's not coming back to Moorhead, according yep. to all reports. So, like, like how does that work? I, mm-hmm. You know, like, I heard that Gonzaga might be recruiting him. So, let's say Gonzaga wants him. Okay. Does the Gonzaga say, hey, we need to know by this day that you're coming. And if you don't want the scholarship, you're gone. But see, there are other schools, like... West Virginia, who's also trying to recruit, I think, Johnny Broom. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, because they need the help. But West Virginia doesn't have that kind of cachet. It's not like, you know, you're going to come here and try to win a national championship next year in all likelihood. So do they just hold that scholarship spot hostage and let all these other transfers, you know, go? Exactly. I mean, it is, it is a mess. And hopefully they'll fix that at some point. Yeah, well, I don't have a lot of hope because, I mean, we're, we just watched a team win the national championship who's been like – We've been waiting for the NCAA hammer to drop on these guys for five years now. Yes. And I guess, I mean, Bill Self will be retired before he finds out what happens with this championship, whether they vacate it or not, or he gets suspended. He'll be suspended five years after he retires. Yes. Yes. Um, Good job. Which is, I think, kind of why he really wanted to win this one to prove that he could still win one, Um, even though this cloud is looming overhead. Um, But anyway... Uh, just I don't know. Overall, interesting season. A lot, a lot to look ahead. Um, great tournament quick, too. In spite great. of the fact that my favorite team lost in the worst loss in program history, I still enjoyed <laughs> the tournament. <laughs> yeah, all those caveats uh, aside. Um, yes. So now you get to think about it for like nine months. But yeah. um, on the bright side, we have um. We, we are going to try to still generate some content. So for those of you who, all 10 of you that enjoy listening to this. Um, you guys are awesome. You're, you're awesome. And thank you for sticking with us. And we will be back next season and hopefully on a more regular schedule when, you know, my life's not upside down trying to fix everything in the world. And so, um, and we, we, we kind of figured out a flow with this anyway. We did. Uh, and hopefully we can do an in-person or two. I'm, yeah, uh, that that would be the dream. I'm looking, I'm looking forward. Selection to that. Sunday next year when I don't coach baseball, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. So, uh, but for right now, um, the plan is we are going to um, may- maybe write up some pieces. So check out the blog um, basketballwithglasses.wordpress.com, uh, and we may also hop back into the recording booth if there. Are, if the emergency arises, so we might have emergency pods. Um, so subscribe so you can see it when it pops up because it won't be once a week anymore for a while. Right, for a while. Um, so stay subscribed. Even though we aren't maybe generating content or filling your feed, we will still be available. Um, and then over the summer, we may try to take a look at some past games and rewatch classics um, just to remind us that basketball is good. Uh, and so, yes, you probably are going to see a WVU game in there um, because their basketball season was painful to watch. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll pick some different games. There's only tournament. one W. There's only one WVU game I can think of that I would possibly veto. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know which one that is. Uh, um, man. But maybe that's when we just watch in person and then we just, um, yeah, do a podcast together. Um, but. Anyway, more content to come. Uh, thank you for listening to this season. Um, thank you, Luke, for joining me um, in all 17 episodes. Well, I That's pretty impressive. Well. That's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah. I'm impressed with this. Yeah. I mean, we committed to basically 17 hours of content and not getting paid. Well, we get paid very, very little. So thank you for listening to our ads and our sponsor, Anchor. Um, oh, you know, you know, it was more than an hour an episode. Oh well, this one's already at an hour, three minutes over an hour. So yeah, oh. um, but 
anyway, uh, thank you all for listening and supporting uh, the pod. Um, and we will be back. We are, we don't know exactly when, but we will be back. So we'll for back. Luke, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Thank and you, remember, Bryce. you can never study the game enough. Uh-huh.